Welcome, guys, back to the Grateful Living Podcast. Today, I'm thankful to have Talia DeLuca with me. Talia is a fitness coach at Anatomy, an intimate and integrated health and wellness gym and community in Miami, Florida. She is also an ACE certified personal trainer and is also a fitness influencer with over 23.2K followers on Instagram and over 213.7K followers on TikTok. Talia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is my first podcast experience. So this is one, <laughs> one for the books, one okay. for the books. Hopefully it's a good one. Um, thank you for joining us. So for, you know, the people that don't know you as well, can you kind of set the scene, you know, take us back to the beginning? Um, you know, what were you like as a kid? You know, your family situation, where you grew up, things like that. Sure. So I am a New England kid. Um, I grew up in a small town in Rhode, Rhode Island. Um, uh, both parents still together, kind of had a very traditional childhood in the suburbs. Um, I had a pretty good childhood, nothing to complain about. Um, one sister, um, very loving family. Um, I grew up, I was kind of the angel child in a sense, very school was very important to me, very serious about school, middle school through, through high school into college. Um, yeah. So then, uh, when stayed in Rhode Island, uh, for elementary school, middle school, high school, um, went to Boston College, which was my dream school. I never thought I'd get in for college. I graduated last May. Had one month. Thank you. It was it was it was tough, but we made it. Yeah. <laughs> Had one month, and then decided I needed a change of pace. I'd been in New England my whole life. Wanted to get really into the fitness industry, which we will go into that kind of how I got into fitness and decided Miami was the place um, among other things that happened, but I ended up here. And now I work at a gym in Miami called Anatomy. It's like a boutique style gym here. I do my own training and I would say social media is my other kind of full-time gig. So yeah, that is yeah. where I'm at today. Awesome. You know, I, I'm curious, just in hindsight, uh, if you could go back, like, do you think there were any signs like from your early life, like that you would do fitness and social media? Like, did you like social media growing up? Did you like fitness growing up? Yeah, so I'll kind of tell you about my journey with them both. I will take you back to kind of the start. So I in high school, well, in middle school, I played sports. I didn't really go to the gym or anything. Um, so I played sports and then I believe it was eighth grade that I tore my ACL at a soccer tournament. Oh, and that kind of changed my perspective of exercise from like a team sport into a more individual practice because I had to quit sports, obviously. I continued them in high school, but it just wasn't the same. 
Um, and a lot of my rehab had to do with uh, lifting weights and strengthening the muscles around my knees. So I kind of got into lifting there. Um, but I'll take you back a little further. It hasn't always been this perfect journey. Um, when I did tear my ACL, I couldn't work out for the month. The recovery is about seven to eight months. I couldn't work out for that period of time. So I gained a lot of fat. My muscles atrophied, I gained a lot of fat. I was in middle school, so you can imagine kind of the bullying that goes on there and the, the sort of lack of awareness about bodies and what's polite and what's not polite in that sense. So a little, a, a kid in my grade made a comment about my body and that I, you know, got fat, had cellulite and that sticks with you at that age. So when I got clear to work out after, um, in addition to training and recovering, I also was just obsessed with losing the fat and, and um, losing the weight. So I, yes, I got into fitness, but it was obsessive. And so was the eating portion as well. I would basically like skip meals and lie to my parents about if I had eaten or not, uh, episodes of binging. And on top of that, like I couldn't eat a dessert unless I had run three miles before. So that, it was a rough, rocky start. And then I recovered, saw a nutritionist, my parents kind of got involved. And I'm lucky to have a sh pretty short recovery span from disordered eating to healthy. And that is when I really got into fitness. So probably, you know, lifting myself. So probably beginning years of high school. Um, social media route did not really get serious until college slash the pandemic is when I really started to hone in because I actually had time to do that. So yeah, yeah. in some. I, I'm curious, you know, uh, eating disorders are something people uh are dealing with you know at, at various different ages you know for someone listening to this uh you know dealing with one right now is there anything that helped you in your process or any piece of advice that you would give to them or you would give to yourself um in hindsight if you could do it again yeah so i think something that shook me out of where I was, um, was finding positive influences. So um, finding people to look up to that do the exact opposite of what you're doing. So I ended up following a lot of pages where I was seeing how sick it was to see like strong ass women lifting weight and just like being strong and not really care, fueling their bodies, not treating their bodies in such a negative way. And I realized that I wasn't ever going to be able to be strong like that had I kept doing what I was doing. And especially in the era of where everything is online and social media has become such an integrated part of our lives, I would say get rid of the triggering pages that you're following, unfollow them, block them, and follow people that just feed positive 
information. And um, yeah, I, I would I would say that that really really did help me. And asking for support, it is a. I remember when I first kind of came to my own realization that I I have an eating disorder. I am struggling with anorexia and binging. And it was embarrassing. Like it felt shameful. But the second that my family asked me about it and they were comforting instead of rude or judgmental, I was able to, you know, seek help. And um, that really, just having honesty and transparency even though it feels so embarrassing, people will understand and no one's gonna judge you. So find a base of support online and in person. And I would say that would be my advice, yeah. You know, obviously the, in some ways, all of that started with, you know, a guy commenting, um, you know, you're fat. I'm curious, you know, I guess twofold, what would you say, um, you know, to the boys and guys out there? And then two, you know, is there something you would say um, to the person on the other receiving end, you know, the, maybe the female, in terms of not letting their comments affect you or, you know, taking them, you know, to your self-esteem? Right. And I want to I want to begin by saying it's it's and I know you know this too. It's not just a problem guys versus girls. It definitely goes the other way around as well. You know, men struggle also with body image, and it's just not talked about as much. So I definitely want to start with that. I think at a young age, you know, it's a fact that boys mature at a slower rate than than girls do, and at that young age, you're just not educated to know that you should not be commenting on women's bodies. I think in general, people shouldn't be making appearance-based compliments or insults. Keep it to, you know, you are, you look strong versus you look really good in that sense. Um, and, you know, I would just, stay away from commenting about people's bodies even if they look great they might be they might be disordered in how they eat and how they exercise and then you're telling them they look great and then that gives them even more purpose to continue their disordered activity so finding a way to compliment someone without making it about their appearance um, or telling them something like you look really strong something like that. In terms of the receiving end, you know, that's that's the tricky one because you it's all about what someone says to you and then how that person receives it um, isn't really up to them. You know, it's that's kind of an individual thing. I will say since starting my social media, the comments section can be really really disgusting and discouraging and upsetting mm. and you just have to tell yourself that that person if someone is making a negative comment 
about you, that says more to do with their own unhappiness with themselves than it does about you. So I just always tell myself they are projecting their own unhappiness. It has nothing to do with you. And that's a mantra that I always tell myself when I'm scrolling through social media and seeing those comments. Cause I do, I see them like your body isn't even that good. Or you have hip dips or this and that. And I just have to repeat that to myself. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. In other words, the person on the other end has, you know, whatever you, however you want to characterize it, but like, you know, you have to be in a tough place in life to be trying to drag someone down. And so almost having empathy for the place that they're in, that they're trying to find joy in hurting someone else uh, is, you know, is, is quite honestly sad. Yeah. So it's, it's, I also tell myself, this is like a Buddhist kind of thing, but just love the thing anyways, you know, because obviously they're struggling with something. No one who's mean or, you know, kind of just a nasty person isn't, chances are they're nasty because they're really dealing with something. So the more like love and understanding you can send to them, you know, better off the world is. And just don't even feed into it for your own sake as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. Happy people or loving people spread yeah. happiness and love. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Easier said than done, but yes. No, no. And I mean, on your end, obviously I have no concept of this, so it's still very hard, but mm -hmm. at the same time, hopefully that's a perspective change such that you don't let it affect you as much maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned Boston college, um, talk to us about that transition Rhode Island to uh, Chestnut Hill. Um, you know, how was the transition to college in BC? Yeah. So my dad was also an Eagle uh he's a double eagle he went for undergrad and for law school so i grew up very familiar with the campus uh going to games when matt ryan was playing the golden the golden age right <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um hopefully it'll be like that someday but uh yeah. so it was a very you know familiar transition for me not to say that it wasn't difficult um i was close to home so that was really nice. I was you know, familiar with the campus, but I definitely did not have a traditional college experience. Again, I was very, very serious about school. If you ask any of my friends, they'll be like, Tao maybe went out four times a year. I was school and work and that was it. And I will say I had a moment after graduation that I sat in my room and cried because I wished that I had not taken life so seriously um, and had enjoyed my time a little bit more. Um, I also didn't really have a cohesive friend group where I would go out with people and this and that. I was kind of just friends with people all over. And that's not really a BC thing. BC is very, you have your friend group and you stick to it. And so that was really weird for me. And I ended up living off campus two out of my four years three, sorry, three out of my four years there. And just kind of like, felt like I kind of lived an adult life, but was taking classes. So 
it was very strange in that sense, but I think it also prepared me very well for the real world and my transition into Miami. Um, so, I mean, my advice to anyone who's in college or starting college is work hard, play hard. Those are four years that you'll never get back. I would literally chop off my left arm to go back to college. Um, so enjoy your time and, and, and be, be soft with yourself because it is a hard four years. Yeah. I, I'm curious, was there, is there anything, um, you know, during your time, obviously COVID-19, the pandemic started yeah. uh, and you graduated, you know, in the midst of it, uh, you know, for people that aren't able to understand that experience, is there like a story or, or something that you can or that you remember that's like, oh, this is like what it was like? Yeah, yeah. So I was actually abroad, studying abroad in Madrid when the pandemic happened. So we arrived, I believe, early January. And we made it January, February, and then um, March, the second week of March. So I believe we left like March 16th, because that's when everything went down. So that was a weird experience. It was kind of funny because we were all kind of itching to go home. I mean, we, we had been there for three months and we were all running out of money. We were all like eating so unhealthy, like <laughs> drinking, and we were all failing school because all of our classes were in Spanish. And we thought it was, all right, this is no big deal. It was God's timing. We were all kind of running out of everything and it was time to go home. But it was, it was kind of crazy because we were basically getting deported and like the flight situation was nuts. All the airline websites were crashing. Trump was confusing. We thought we were gonna like get stuck. It was this big thing. Um, and then we took all of our exams at home and then we thought everything would be fine. And then I went into my senior year uh, fall senior year was weird. It got better when spring rolled around, but I lived off campus. So it was a very isolating experience. Um, I went through two breakups at the time that were not pleasant and that was even more isolating. Um, and that is when I, you know, really, I think a lot of people in college, especially seniors with major, you know, that was, that's your last year of college. You know, that's your best year and we were missing everything. And so yeah. not only that, but we were isolated, especially living off campus. And I was dealing with heartbreak and I definitely entered a depression at one point. And um, I actually almost dropped out of school. I believe it was around October. October my senior year I was discussing with my parents withdrawing because I was so mentally unstable um I ended up pulling through I I got my dog she's an emotional support mm. so she helped me out and I ended up having my actually best academically semester but I was a wreck mentally and that was definitely my hardest hardest year because I was basically living alone yeah. and staying home and going through heartbreak by myself. And it was, it was hard. 
As you look back on that time period, obviously a lot of people enter college uh, and, and enter into relationships and sometimes it's their first serious one. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned, you know, like, I, I don't know, is, is there anything that as you look back on that time that you would give advice to yourself or give advice to someone going through, you know, a hard time like that? Yeah, so I mean, relationship eyes and, you know, this this can apply to a lot of hard experiences in life. Like a breakup is gonna be one of the hardest things that you have to deal with. A heartbreak is gonna be one of the hardest things you have to deal with, but you always make it out and you always make it out better than you were before. Like, I always look back and I'm like, why was I stressing out so much? I'm happier than I was, I'm happiest I've been. Like, I don't know why I was, but again, hindsight is 2020. You feel typically it's not that you even love that person that much at that young of an age where you've only really been together six months a year. Like, it's not a serious thing. It's the attachment. And especially during the pandemic when like, that's kind of all we had, that was really hard to let go of. So I would say mastering the art of letting go and detachment, which is again, harder, easier than, easier said than done, than done. Mastering detachment and just reminding you, I would always say like, you've been through worse than this. You've survived it a hundred percent of the time. There wasn't one heartbreak before this that you haven't survived. And each time you've been happier on the other end. And, um, those two mantras, I think, really helped me. I'm in a very happy and loving relationship now. Um, it doesn't help that I'm also a relationship person. So I'm kind of in and out a lot, but I'm in a very, I'm the happiest I've ever been. And I can look back with grace, knowing that I learned a lot about myself, my own perseverance, my love languages. And that was that, that was a period of my life I felt love. You can have love for a person and then you might not have love for a person and you just have to respect the ebbs and flows of that throughout your life because heartbreak is inevitable. We all fall in love. So yeah, yeah. no, hundred um, percent. You know, not to uh, stick on tough topics, but, you know, obviously we talked ahead of this, um, you know, on things that, happened, you know, a couple of days before graduation, um, you know, however much you want to say or talk about, um, you know, feel free to. Sure. Yeah. So, um, this is kind of my first, I close friends know, but this is my first time kind of talking about it, you know, in public where I know something's going to be published about it, but my, Senior year, it was a few days before graduation, I think two days before graduation. Uh, it was June 3rd, I believe. It was June 3rd. Yeah, wait, no. No, May. It was May 3rd. I could be wrong on that. Anyways, um, I was out at a party as as one does their graduation week. It was three in the morning. Um, I was in Chestnut Hill. I I had never felt unsafe there, you know. I I've lived abroad, I've traveled, I know kind of how to maneuver at night and by myself. I'm, you know, not a dumb person, but um, 
I was eating a pizza sitting right outside my off-campus apartment. I lived right on, on Commonwealth Avenue and I never felt unsafe. I was maybe two yards away from my door, sitting on the curb, eating my pizza, a little tipsy, but I could handle my own. I was, I was perfectly coherent. And um, these two guys approached me. They were very nice at first, but I could tell, you know, something was off. Maybe they were drunk or on drugs or something. And I was kind of just, you know, being friendly and a little reserved, but just friendly. I wasn't going to assume the worst of them. And um, they started to name call me at one point and I was, you know, one of them called me a stupid bitch. At one point we were talking about speaking Spanish and I had said that I knew a little bit of Spanish because I did and I do. And one of them was like, no, you don't like da, 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 you're a stupid bitch. And then I started to feel very uncomfortable. So I was like, okay, please don't call me that. And then one of them approached me and was like, give me a bite of your pizza. And I was like, I didn't have any pizza left. And I was like, there's no pizza left. I ate it all, I ate the whole thing. And so for some reason that triggered him and he grabbed a napkin that I had near me and I was sitting down, he was standing up. So I was sitting on a curb, on my butt on the curb. And he took, he pushed my shoulders down. So my back was like on the mulch behind the curb and held me down, grabbed a napkin, shoved it in my mouth and held me there for like, I was probably there, I kind of blacked out, but I was probably there for 30 to 45 seconds. And he was like, yeah, you don't have any pizza. It was, it was honestly like a very weird experience. And my yeah. heart was racing. Like I, I was in fight or flight. Yeah. And so I fought him off, ran inside. It was like out of a movie. Like I was juggling for my keys. Like I was shaking, opening the door and I ran inside. One of them was like, go get her, go get her. And so I had made it and locked the door and they walked away. I was sitting there shaking. I'm kind of shaking right now as I'm retelling yeah, yeah. it, but I was sitting there shaking. I, I was honestly in disbelief because luckily I had never gone through a trauma like that in my life. Like I had never really, things have happened to me, but I never felt scared that I was going to end, like my life was going to end. And, um, I called my mom and then I called my friends who were nearby and they came and they were like, you need to call the police. Um, so I called the police, they talked to me, they actually found the guy who assaulted me, arrested him and um, he, he stayed in jail for a few nights and um, I did end up dropping the charges, which is a later topic, but that was crazy. And that's a moment yeah. that I think will stick with me for the rest of my life and definitely has changed my life. Yeah. Um, I guess as you look back, is there... I mean, obviously I don't want anyone to go through that, but is there something that you look back on that helped with like healing or like, mm -hmm. you know, did you, I mean, obviously um, maybe therapy or something, just like being able to process it for the next couple of months or whatever. 
I'm not sure um, what your process was, but um, in terms of healing from that, um, for your own good, um, is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, I'm still healing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes I don't realize that I'm still healing. There will be moments that I'm walking at night or walking my dog, even in the broad daylight, and I'll pass by a man and feel a little bit uneasy. And I'm like, okay, I would have never felt that way had this never happened. But I think in terms of, yes, I did, I did seek therapy a little bit. I honestly, I've never really been a big fan of therapy for myself because I feel like I'm a very self-aware person who kind of knows how to deal with things. So um, again, I really, I was angry at first. Well, first I couldn't really think about it because I was graduating. My parents were down yeah, here. That's I a kinda, crazy. That's yeah, a crazy I, sequence to have to go into straight happiness with family yeah. around. So it was a lot of weird emotions because it was like trauma, but I kind of had to shut it off because I was graduating. I was super happy I was graduating, but also, I was also really upset that I was graduating. So I don't think I really processed it until later. And when I started telling people, and I don't really think I like understood it as trauma until I started talking to people. Cause I was just kind of like, this is something that happened to me. And then people were like, no, you got assaulted. Like that was a traumatic experience in your life. And, and then like, I kind of told my therapist, I'm having a hard time, like walking outside, but I'm kind of all over the place, like looking everywhere. Um, I, since then, and now I have like a whistle and like pepper spray, should I ever need it? So I would definitely recommend to get those things. If you're even males, females, anyone, um, I think for me, it was just knowing that I'm strong individual and um, can kind of handle my own. And knowing that also like girls look up to me. And um, I think this experience kind of solidified my purpose, which is like to empower women to be strong and stand their ground and like I was able to fight this person off maybe I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not you know been a strong person who was training and and things like that so it kind of came full circle in that sense um but yeah, I will say healing is not a linear process there I have my bad days I have my good days and I didn't, this was actually kind of hard for me to talk about. I honestly thought I was going to have an easier time talking about it. So the fact that I'm kind of struggling goes to show I'm still healing from it and that's okay. And you have to be comfortable with the fact that healing is not linear and you have to find peace and grace with that. So that would be my advice. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> this is a big transition, but yeah, um, it's okay. Uh, you know, obviously personal training at some point during BC comes to, you know, be a part of your life. Um, can you, can you talk about how, how it became a part of your life? Yeah. So, um, like I said, I started to get very much more serious about fitness when 
I started college and my sophomore year was when I found out that we had a personal training certification class through, through BC Recreation. And so I decided to sign up. Basically, it's an intensive semester long class, not included in your credits, but you take it outside through the gym. And I had a great mentor, PD, who still um, lives in Boston, but she taught us everything, the textbook, and I got certified my sophomore year. And I started training at BC, uh, BC Rec Center, and I loved it. Um, to me, it was really motivating to, I did have one experience. I trained a lot of international students. And one of my, one of my students was an international student from China. And she was really self-conscious about lifting in the gym and felt like, you know, she didn't fit within the body standards in China, which are very different from the US. And that really, that lack of identity or, you know, that tension really messed up kind of her own body image. And we really worked on strength training and making her feel comfortable in the gym, knowing what she's doing, you know, being comfortable in her body and teaching her also, cause she wasn't, she did not speak English perfectly. So we would kind of have to find a way to communicate with each other. and. On my last day with her, cause she was leaving. She was like, Talia, like she literally told me she loved me and we cried. I, she, I sat there and she was like, you've changed my like life. Wow. And um, I started to cry and I was like, wow, like, this is what I'm passionate about. I'd still been searching for that feeling. I never really felt that like with my major or any you know, internships I'd done. And I was like, okay. This is the direction I want to go. So fast forward, now I'm training full time. You know, I don't know if I'll be a trainer forever, but this is kind of the way I want to approach my career where I'm somehow helping others with their health and fitness journey and also their, you know, personal journeys because it's very integrative health, physical, mental, it's all intertwined. It all relates to each other. And um, yeah. Yeah. So you, so your mental just going into it was just like side income or something like that, or like, just, what was it? Like, what made you do that training? You know what? I, my freshman year, I saw the personal trainers at the gym wearing their trainer shirts. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I was like, I want to do that. And so I did it. And that, and that was that it really started by, I just want to look cool in that shirt. And then I ended up loving it and turned it into a career. Is there anything about that process, you know, becoming a certified personal trainer? And I, um, I know there's NAS, NASM and ACE and, yeah. um, you know, or anything about that process that, uh, you, you know, is, is of advice to someone you know, thinking about it or uh, in the process of trying to become a certified personal trainer? Yeah, so so here's what I say, not to knock the certifications, but to be a good trainer, you need to do far more than get a certification. Everything that I know now isn't because of cert my certification, but it's because I learned from people, I learned from coaches, I took training sessions with coaches, I 
went on YouTube. So I asked for help. So get your certification, just study the book, um, you know, go on Quizlet and study the questions that are probably going to be asked because you're not going to memorize the whole book. Um, you know, study those questions. I would take three to four months to study diligently, um, memorize things, know your movements, know injuries, know anatomy, things like that. But getting your certification does not mean that you're going to be a successful trainer or a good trainer. That is through experience. So start somewhere. I started at a rec center. I, my boyfriend started training people for $10 an hour during the pandemic outside. Start anywhere and trust yourself and just keep unlearning and relearning and unlearning and relearning. Because unfortunately in the fitness world, something is true one day and then it's not true the other day. So just keep learning and that's it. And um, do uncomfortable things. And um, yeah, that would be my, my advice. You know, I don't think from BC, there's a lot of people pursuing fitness right after school. Was that something you felt self-conscious about, you know, when you talked about it or with your parents, were they even like, Oh, like maybe just do it on the side or how, how was that process? Oh yeah. I still get it to this day. Um, I, after really getting into social media too, I kind of realized the opportunity that was on there, especially in the fitness niche. Um, and I just could not see myself settling doing something else and nothing scared me more. And this is no judgment to anyone who does this, but nothing scared me more than living a nine to five lifestyle where I never really discovered a nine to five area that I would be happy doing. Like I had no passion for consulting or like sitting and doing sales. And I just did not feel comfortable su submitting my life to that. And I told my parents, I sat them down and said, hey guys, I give me a year. I want a year where I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I want. And this is the start of that year. I landed a really cool job um, out here in Miami. I'm doing pretty well on, on social media. I have landed a few, you know, part-time jobs as well. I also work at a mental health clinic part-time. Um, and I think they're starting to change their minds a little bit, but I do get the, oh, you're a trainer. That's a job for people who don't have a job. And I do struggle with that. I do yeah. struggle with that identity a lot because I am a very smart individual. I can own up to that. You know, I went to a very good school. I got very good grades. I graduated with honors. So a part of my kind of like elitism ego struggles with the fact that, yes, I'm a fitness coach, but you can be a killer fitness coach and really know your stuff and build a very successful and respected career. And there are some fitness coaches that I respect the hell out of. So again, it's kind of like, I just went a hundred percent in and it was a risk and I got a lot of shit for it and a lot of judgment. And I just had to say, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to listen to you. 
and I'm doing a pretty damn good job. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, my advice that, you know, if you don't, if you feel passionate about something and you have the privilege to be able to do that, do that a hundred percent. And if you can put a hundred percent of your effort into something, you will be successful at it. I, I love the, uh, give me a year that that's an, that's a really <laughs> good, that's a really good piece of advice. Yeah. So, um, you know, anatomy and being a fitness coach there, how did, how did that opportunity arise? Yeah. So again, the power of social media, I was in my senior flurry of searching for jobs and, um, I was like, I want to get out of new England. So I, I, I was like, I want to be a trainer. I was looking at Equinox first and there weren't really any hirings happening where I wanted to go. And then I posted on my Instagram story and I was like, Hey, does anyone know of any fitness centers hiring? And I got a DM from a hairstylist in Miami who does the hair of someone who trains with my boss. So he reached out to her, who reached out to my now, or the manager, the personal trainer manager at my gym and put me in contact. I came out here actually during my finals week, which was the most stressful thing to go through an interview. Yeah. (laughs) My finals in this like tiny little hotel room. There was a frog in my room, like hopping around. It was, it was a memory, but, um, and, and yeah, and it, it worked out. Um, I, moved here a month after graduating, which I don't recommend. I wait longer, (laughs) wait longer, save more money because gosh, it's expensive. It's stressful. But, um, it beyond that, it was, it was pretty seamless. How, um, you know, Miami is a crazy place. How have you, um, navigated, you know, all the goes on in, in the city and, trying to not, you know, not getting caught up in, in everything that's going on. Yeah. So I'm kind of living how I lived in college. I kind of just, I get up very early. I get up at around 4:45. I have a client at 5:15, and then I usually train until noon and then I have a break in the middle of the day and then I go back and train clients and then I'm doing social media. So my life is very much sleep, take care of my dog, see my boyfriend. I'm lucky enough to actually work with my boyfriend. I met him here at work um, and eat and train and social media. And honestly, I'm, that makes me happy. I don't really go out. I don't really drink. Um, you know, I do enjoy myself. I like going out to eat, but I just, I don't find myself getting lost in the Miami craziness because I just don't partake in it. Um, but it is a hard place to live. I find myself being a little lonely. Sometimes I don't really have a group of girlfriends here, which can be hard. I have no family here. I basically have my boyfriend and my coworkers and my roommates and my dog. And I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm content with that. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's get into a little bit about like, you know, fitness, um, you know, I, I don't know where to start, but maybe like when, when should someone, or, or I guess first let's go to, 
you know, if someone's struggling to incorporate being consistent, you know, with going to the gym um, or something like that, I mean, are, are there any strategies that worked with you in terms of, you know, developing that habit um, early on, you know, back when you were first, you know, starting to take fitness seriously? Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, you know, part of it is creating a habit and that's easier said than done. I actually listened to an interesting podcast on habit forming and retraining your brain. And the way that a habit works is in the beginning, you have to force yourself to do it. You literally has to be a part of your to-do list. You have to cross it off. Then after a certain amount of time, and it depends on the difficulty of what you're doing. If it's as simple as taking your vitamins in the morning, you're going to be able to build that habit a lot quicker and a lot easier. If it's something more difficult, like finding time to go to the gym and actually put yourself through a hard workout, that's going to take longer. But the idea is to, yes, force yourself so that you get to a point where it becomes a mindless part of your day and it feels harder to not go than it does to go because then you're resisting what was nor what became normal to you. So that's an interesting perspective that I, I kind of learned the other day. My story is a little different. I think when I started to see progress, I became, that was it. It was like, okay, a few months went by, I kind of wasn't seeing anything, but you finally start to see those changes and that's what clicked for me. And now it's just part of my life. It's become a lifestyle. And that's the third thing. You need to treat fitness like a lifestyle. You can't just go to the gym for a year, get the body you want or the strength you want or whatever your goals are and then stop going because you will just go back to the way you were before. So it's literally an ongoing process and it never ends. And you'll have periods where you're super unmotivated. Like I haven't worked out in three days because I got back from LA and it was just the time zone and like getting back into work. And I'm cool with that. I know that I'm gonna go to the gym tomorrow and that's fine, you know, but it's not allowing yourself to take those four days off and then have that turn into four months. So turning it into a lifestyle rather than something, but starting off, yes, you have to be diligent if it's not already a part of your life. I think what's interesting from what you said there is it can take a year for the results. You know, I think that's an interesting thing that people don't catch on to yeah. is like they want results within a month or two, but like if you've done 25 years of like not doing something, you know, it's going to take some years or like at least some amount of time to undo, you know, not having a fitness habit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a misunderstanding in, in the fitness world that I get, I get it all the time. I get, I want to look like this. I've literally been shown pictures. Can we do it by March? And I'm like, unless you literally are in here training until you almost pass out and you're in here doing cardio twice a day and barely like eating, sure. But life doesn't work 
like that. So, you know, I would say progress takes, it depends, but your body likes to stay the same, right? Your body doesn't like to change. Your body likes to stay in equilibrium all the time. So your body resists the first few months to change and it's continual patterns that lead to success or results. So usually on the two month markers, you'll start seeing change, whether or not that's your goal, probably not your goal. Um, you know, I'm still feel like I'm progressing and I've been in this industry training hard for five years, six years, seven, more than that, sorry, like seven, eight years. And um, it's a, it's a process. It's a journey, not a destination. I like that saying it's definitely a journey and you have to feel, you have to be comfortable with the fact that it's not an overnight and if you want to turn it into a lifestyle, you can't do the overnight fix because you can't sustain that. It's not healthy to sustain that. Okay. So we've got this person, they've, you know, built the habit, they're going to the gym. Now they hear about fitness coaches or personal trainers. You know, when, when is the right time to seek out someone like that? What's the value add uh, from your perspective? for that type of person? I would say, I would say this, honestly, I would hire a trainer before you start doing anything. And it's interesting because we get a lot of, oh, I don't wanna start training until I'm fit. What happens is people are not working out correctly with the right form, with the right weights, with the right patterns, with the right program. And then they are fit, but they come to you with all these issues, injuries, pain, this and that. When all that could have been avoided, had you worked with the trainer for, it doesn't have to be forever, work with the trainer for six months. I teach my clients, I don't, make them rely on me. I want them to be successful by themselves. I do not want them to rely on me forever. I teach them, this is why we do this. This is why we do this. This is why we do this in everything. And so that they feel comfortable doing their own thing when they're on their own. So my advice, and this is if you have a trainer who's teaching you, not just telling you what to do, if you're starting your fitness journey, and if you have the privilege, again, to hire a trainer, not everyone does, but you can also, there's tons and tons of tools for free online um, and a lot of like free content that great trainers put on their pages that you can access. Um, hire a trainer if you have the ability to and learn the right way so that you can save a lot of time a lot of money, maybe dealing with injuries, this and that, and, you know, down the road. Yeah. Uh, you know, for you in terms of coaching or training, uh, is there any piece of advice on, you know, developing that confidence or developing programs for individuals or anything from that lens that, uh, you would give to like someone just starting out? Yeah, um, I mean, the programming, it depends on your goals. So I get a lot of people who wanna train hypertrophy, which is you know basic bodybuilding, you wanna look good. And then I train a lot of that crowd. That's how I train myself for the most part. So if your goal is you know kind of more aesthetic, 
Um, my philosophy is you don't really need a program. You just need to train the correct movements really hard. And that's kind of your, that's kind of your recipe for success. Um, picking like four or five exercises per muscle group and just doing those really hard. Um, and then your program might look different if you have a goal to be able to lift X amount of weight and your goal is, you know, strength and not bodybuilding. Your goal might be to run a marathon. So your programming is going to look different. And, and a lot of coaches are going to have different theories. If there's a lot of right, there's a lot of different ways to achieve the same goal. Um, so, you know, my, my advice would be to, if you're starting off, uh, focus on form first, find out how to do the exercise right, the exercises right. From there, figure out the most optimal exercises for the goal that you want to achieve. For example, and I get this a lot, if you want to work on your glutes, find the five exercises that most maximally uh, stimu stimulate the glutes, stick to those and progressively overload your weight over time and train hard. That's the recipe, you know? Um, so choose your movements, figure out what your weight, you know, ability is per rep range. Um, and, you know, from there, do that for a month, reassess. Maybe you very, maybe you choose a variation of a, of a hip thrust, you know, maybe you change a variation of a lunge, you make it a little bit more difficult. Maybe you add weight to make it more difficult. Maybe you slow down the movement to make it more difficult as you progress. And just kind of reassess and check in with yourself. A lot of my, my training looks the same that it did a year ago, but I train with more intention. My weights are a little bit higher, uh, things like that. Um. I don't know if this is a tough question, but you know, I, I think a lot of people go into working out for losing weight. Um, mm -hmm. uh, do you as a fitness coach think that that's a healthy way to approach fitness, like tracking weight as you, you know, work out or work, you know, with a trainer or coach? Yeah. So this is a sticky subject in the, in the, in the fitness industry. I know some trainers who literally refuse to train anyone if their goal is weight loss. And my perspective of it is, okay, your, your goal is weight loss. If that's a healthy goal for that person, like they're not healthy where they're at now and there's risks associated with their weight, that's a, an okay goal with me, but I will never approach it in a sense where I'm restricting your diet or I'm making you just do cardio. You will lose weight naturally if you're lifting and if you're replacing fat with muscle. Your metabolism will go up. Your weight might not change, but your body um, will look smaller because muscle takes up less space than fat. So I explain that to my people. I say, listen, like your goal can be weight loss, but I want you to fixate more on how you feel and how you look and how you move rather than what the weight on the scale is. And I give them my perspective. Since moving to Miami, I've gained six or seven pounds, mostly all like muscle, but I gained weight, but I look leaner and my body fat is less and I look leaner, but I gained weight. So 
I think as a society, we're getting better at losing the fixation for weights. Um, and I think that's a good thing. So I kind of try to give them a bigger picture. Yeah. Is there anything with regard? I'm going to go to the social media part um, after uh, this, but anything with regard to fitness that, you know, whether it's uh, misconceptions, you know, uh, the business of fitness or, you know, anything else that, you know, weightlifting for women or anything else that, you know, when you look at fitness that um, you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I mean, definitely I can speak, I think for, I train 95% women. And um, I think a few things I would, I would say to them is you're stronger than you think. Uh, don't be scared to lift heavy. You're not gonna get bulky. You need to eat, <laughs> you need to eat. And, and just to trust yourself and, and that's it. I think women and men struggle with confidence in the gym and everyone does. And something I would also say is everyone's so focused on themselves, they're not looking at you. Do your thing and you will learn as you go, but do your thing, no one's looking at you. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 100%. So, you know, I, I saw that, uh, you know, you're involved with several different companies in terms of like being partners, I think what it's called, uh, you know, talk to us about the social media journey. Like, when did you start TikTok? How, you know, what made you start that? When did you start posting, you know, fitness content on Instagram? And like, was yeah. that a big change in your life? Yeah, so I definitely, I started a little bit before the pandemic um, posting. I actually made, originally made a fitness account that was separate from my personal account called Telfit. It's funny because some of my friends still call me Telfit, the joke, <laughs> but um, it was Telfit. And then um, I realized I'd get more traction if I just put the two together. And fitness is a lifestyle, not a separate component of my life. It's literally an integral part of who I am. So I was like, why would I separate the two? So I put them together. My Instagram did very well. It really grew over the pandemic. I had more time to post fitness content. That's when I really started to post on Instagram more like workouts and this and that and actually reached 10K by the end of that spring that the pandemic started. And I, I didn't have a TikTok until that spring. I honestly thought it was dumb. I was like, this is a little kid app. I'm not <laughs> using this. And then I kind of played around with it. And you can grow, like you can grow on TikTok very fast because your audience is a capped at your followers. Your audience is literally the entire globe who has TikTok. So that was a game changer. TikTok is definitely a game changer. Um, for your social media. And since then, you know, it's just being consistent and it's harder than it looks. You, it's not, social media is not, it's like a second job or a third job in my case. You literally have to plan every single day when you're gonna post, if you're working with brands, you have to plan when you're gonna post because there's requirements. 
if you don't meet their requirements, you can't work with them anymore. So it can be a lot, but that's kind of how I, how I started. Yeah. How did you, you know, like, for example, I saw raw gear, you know, you have a partnership with them. Like how, how does that, you know, work out, you know, are you reaching out to them? Are they reaching out to you? Um, you know, can you talk to us about that process? Yeah. So raw gear was a little different. I actually knew the owner Bradley from Los Angeles. I used to date a guy that lived in LA. So I was in LA a lot and he reached out to me when I was kind of growing on social media to go check out his gym in LA. And I had noticed a few people that I had follow were, were sponsored by them. So I actually messaged him and I was like, Hey Bradley, what are the chances you can put me on with raw gear? Like I want to be an athlete and it worked out. And so, but that was different. Other brands, I mostly just have my email attached to my social media and they just reach out. But if you are someone wanting to grow on social media and wanting to work with brands, I encourage you to email and um, reach out to people. Because if I had never, I was talking to my boyfriend, I was like, I don't know if I want to reach out to him. Like, I don't want to seem like I'm like using him or whatnot to get a sponsorship. If I had never reached out, I would have never been where I am and um, reach out there. You know, there are another brands like Alani New that I reached out to and they, you know, sent me stuff and yeah, so reach out and, um, but also brands do contact you to just make sure that you have your contact information up. Yeah. Uh, you know, the process for like making uh, a TikTok or an Instagram video of like, you know, how, how does that like go in terms of like, I guess you have someone videoing you, you know, the creativity with like the sounds behind it and the, yeah. or the music or like when, when you talk about planning, like, is, is that all like stuff you've been like, all right, I'm going to do like a, a glutes workout exercise, or I'm going to do an abs workout exercise and on this day, or like, how do you approach that? Um, you know what? I'll be brutally, brutally honest. I don't have a schedule where like, I'm going to post this, this, and this for my workouts every day, having a full-time job. Like I have not been able to schedule my life like that. I do schedule my branded posts, but my own personal workouts I don't really do that. There are influencers who like every Monday they post a reels or a swipe story and it's chest. And then Tuesday is this and Wednesday is that. I don't really do that. Like my life is predictable. I again, haven't worked out in three days. So, but if I'm working with a brand, it motivates me to create a workout with that brand on. And it kind of serves two purposes in that sense. But yeah, I, that is something I admit I need to have a better schedule for posting. Um, but I'm a real person too, and it's okay uh, yeah. to not have it all, you know, have it all figured out. 100%. But yeah, so I try to do a post a day. I kind of like to do every other day. I'll do a post and a reel, a post and a reel, a post and a reel on TikTok. You know, I try to just follow the trends 
um, because that's what gets you views. Same thing with reels. So it's funny because me and my boyfriend will sit down and we're like, okay, homework time. And we just scroll through and we're learning what the algorithm is this week, what the trends are on reels and TikTok, and we're like collecting data. And it is like, and then creating content off of that. Go ahead. No, no, it's like another job. Yeah, yeah. it is fully. Um, how do you not burn out as a creative or social media influencer? I do. Um, I do burn out. I, for example, I have not had a day off from work in probably two weeks and I'm working through the weekend this week. And then I go to LA for work next week and I probably won't have a day off for a month straight, but that's the thing with social media and being an entrepreneur and not working a nine to five is you're going to have to hustle. But I will say, I don't have a perfect system right now for not burning out because I do feel very burnt out and sometimes overwhelmed. And something that has helped me, especially as an entrepreneur, when you work multiple jobs, like I said, I'm a full-time trainer full-time on social media. And I also work part-time at a mental health clinic and I do other things as well. So something that has helped me is when you have weeks where you literally can't take a break. And sometimes that happens, unfortunately, try to take a break. If you can, that's number one. If you can't just literally slow down, like breathe and like be intentional about everything that you do and the things that you do, even though it's work, it won't feel as stressful and it won't feel as like hardcore. So just slow down and be a little softer. Like I call myself talking to a client, my voice is kind of gone. And she was like, Talia, slow down your talking. You can talk lower to me. And I'm like, wow, I'm trying to be intense all the time. And some days you just don't have it. You can't be a hundred percent energy output all day you know, so conserve your energy, move slower, move with intention, move with purpose. That has helped me kind of not just expend everything that I have. Yeah. Well, uh, Talia, we talked about a good amount. Was there, was there something that you wanted to talk about, uh, that we didn't get to? Um, you know what? We talked a lot about my life and I feel like I just kind of went through a therapy session. <laughs> I kind of needed this. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, nothing, nothing I want to, you know, talk about further. I think I would just emphasize a few things. Um, I would just say, you know, if there's something that you want to do, don't just write it off because you're another human being because that's what 90% of other people are doing is writing their dreams off and writing their goals off. And that's when you end up the 90% of people. So it would just be to trust yourself and take risks and put a hundred percent into what you do. Be courageous um, don't listen to other people when they say you can't do something. Normally that's a projection of their own guilt and what they haven't done. Um, 
And yeah, my, my, my biggest thing is you can do more than you think you can and you can surprise yourself. So that would kind of be what I would leave with. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, if someone wants to, you know, support you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, just share my content. Um, if you do want to use my codes for brands and, and um, supplements, feel free to do that. But if you don't have the privilege to spend money on thing, anything, just share my content, you know, reach out to me. Like I, I do respond to people. So reach out to me if you need anything or want a certain kind of content or things like that. So just share, you know, outreach is, is, is big. I'm kind of a micro influencer. doesn't seem like it, but in the grand scheme of things I am. So I'm up against a lot of competition. So um, if there's any specific niche value that you see in my page, please tell me, please shout me out. I would very much appreciate it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, well, and do you want to actually tell people what your um, social media, um, I yeah. don't even know what they're called, usernames? Usernames. Handles. Handles. We call handles. them handles. Handles <laughs> um, on the various platforms you're on. Yeah, so right now I, I just use uh, Instagram and TikTok, but Instagram is just Tal DeLuca, so T-A-L-D-E-L-U-C-A, that's it. And then my TikTok is my full name, Talia underscore DeLuca with underscore in between, first and last name. Um, but if you go to my Instagram, my TikTok is linked on my, my Hubi link, which is kind of like a link tree, but it's a little different. Um, so yeah, go support. I, I, I appreciate you guys and I appreciate whoever is listening to this. Thank you for listening to my first podcast. It's cool. Yeah. Wait, can I ask you one other question? Yeah. Is, is it, have you conceptualized, I'm curious, have you conceptualized how, like for you, when you see like, whatever, like a thousand people like a post or yeah. <laughs> like a million people have viewed it. Like, do you, or like, you know, you've have hundreds of comments, like, do you conceptualize that? And like, do you, I don't know. Does that, do you reflect on like how awesome that is? Or is, do you, are you just in the process and you like, don't even. I think a little bit of both. I mean, when you're in the, when you're in the social media industry, you kind of become used to it in the sense that I'm scrolling through people that I look up to and they have 30 times more what I have. Yep. So it's not really a big thing for me, but at the same time, sometimes I'm really hard on myself and I'm like, dude, you got 8 million views and 700,000 people liked this video. That's a lot of people. Yeah. That's like that's crazy. five sold out arenas. Like that's a yeah. lot of people. And so it's kind of this balance of like staying humble and not thinking you're, you know, too much, but also knowing that you're impacting and being seen by a lot, a lot of people. So I think it's hard being in the industry because you're kind of used to it. That's mm. the whole point of it, right? That's yeah. the whole point 
the audience, it's the numbers, it's the insights, you know? So yeah, I mean, I'm probably, you know, a little humble, but I'm also proud at the same time. So yes, yeah, as you should be. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Well, Talia, I want to thank you um, again for being on and uh, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing, you know, uh, just the whole journey. Uh, it was, it, you know, it's, it's really cool uh, for me as I've been on this journey to, to just to see fellow young people like going after their dreams and like, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but like, I, I mean, hopefully, you know, if the person that was having that conversation, you know, with her parents about what she was doing after BC, you know, if you saw what she is today, hopefully you'd be happy with how it's turned out and the fact that you're able to do it full time and, and create brand partnerships and things like that. Um, and then I just want to thank you for, for being honest on a lot of, you know, different angles with mental health relationships, the physical assault, um, and, you know, the eating disorder, um, you know, hopefully that, that stuff can be, be powerful or help, you know, even if it helps one person, it, it's really impactful. Yeah. Yeah. I think social media and the power of our phones and whatnot is, you know, you can do it the wrong way. You could do it the right way. And my big thing has been doing it the right way. So if again, there's anything I, I can do, it's my passion is yes, fitness, but it's mostly because I like helping others. So I know that I was helped by listening to other people's stories and now I'm kind of taking on that responsibility. So, so yeah. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me this platform. And, um, you know, if you need anything on my end or anyone who's listening, just reach out and, and that's, that's it. Yeah. So thank you. Sounds good. Thank you.